Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. Thank you. 
would go to buy groceries and you'd open the door. I'm not really a foodie, so I guess I guess I have to be so prepared for what the figurative metaphor of what what's happening in my life. Okay. Um, the smart woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me from a woman of Samaria? Jesus said to her, Talk to me. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that from? Are you greater than our adversary who gave us the well and drank of the deep rocks around the well? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him, and I just like that says, um, actually says, everybody that drinks of the water thirsty again. The water that I am talking about will become in them a spring of gushing water into eternal life. The woman said to him, give me this water that I may never be thirsty or have to drink it again. Well, so one of the things that we need to understand is this, is that Jesus is suggesting that there's something within us that is in fact a river. And by looking at this, if you look at most religious temptations, they are actually suggesting something much, much, much deeper, much more radical, where Jesus is not saying, if you, if you follow me, if you believe in me, if you confess your sins, repent, pray the Romans road, road prayer, repeat after me, I, Eric Mormon, I ask that you forgive me of my heart. Jesus is saying, it's not about where you worship. Because later he says, there is coming a time when all true worshipers will recognize that real worship is found what? In and in Christ. So what's Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about radical inclusivity. A type of inclusivity that is so beyond identity, ability, and class that it is a that is baked into us. Somehow in those words of that, Jesus is saying, look, you actually, it really did dawn to me how much of this I really need to get out of my heart. That how, when, when the picture that Jesus is actually making is that I am about the burial of who he is and what I worship and he's crossing that that Jesus is creating barriers of exclusion. See, he's using words saying you have to worship like this. He's actually not. He's proposing a third way. See, what the conversation has been leading to is the way of the Jews or the way of the Samaritans. Keeping in mind that they're all Jewish people in the beginning, so they were all worshiping Yahweh, but they had different views on how they should worship and things were trying to be evolutionary about it. See, Jesus is actually stepping in the middle and saying, I've got a third option. This option doesn't include Jewish worship or Samaritan worship. This worship is spirit and truth. And so Jesus is saying, if you can do this, what you will have is you 
can feel most powerful is the thing that we know the most about God or the thing that reminds us of our worst nightmares. So oftentimes the thing that I find myself most critical of is the thing that I most recently have graduated from. So like when we got sick, think about your experience. So when you start thinking of March of that time, of this year, what were you immediately critical of? Everybody who just took a jump. And then when you get to the intersection and something happened with Sunday care, what were we immediately critical of? Everybody that was in an intersection. And then when we begin to find each other in hospitals and we begin to do good things and, and we begin to do prophetic worship, you know what I was immediately critical of? Ready to worship? Head worship. That when you do, there's something baked into us that that it is like it, it we're inflamed. And it's the low-hanging fruit that's really what it is. Because it's the thing that we most recently worship. If you look down that's the wall. And the other thing that I think we are most inflammable for being Christians is to characterize things that that remind us of the worst of our nightmares. Because there is there are things inside of us that that if someone is using something correctly on it, is the thing that is making that It becomes very easy to do that. But what I really think is interesting is that both of those intrinsically part of the human experience and also our greatest blind spot is part of the human experience is supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. We have a disease. It, it, it's the feeling effect of it's like if I didn't choose people who were spiritually arrogant and stuff or leading other people, then it wouldn't be a good reminder of me. When I have to share it, it should it should remind me of this. Does that make sense? It should remind me of this. Now that doesn't always happen, does it? Because sometimes what happens is it actually causes me to become more charismatic because as soon as I point out the, the Pharisees falling for sinners, Guess who I've become? You've got a Pharisee praying and a sinner praying. And as soon as I point out the Pharisee as being the sinner, I'm now a Pharisee. That's what happens. So that's supposed to be the way it works. But we do not like the way that exposure can blind us like the dark shadows of the human selves. Another mainstream you see, I don't. I you see, I believe 
that at its most basic level, it is the Spirit of God incarnate in all of us, which God will often use to expose those places in which we when I see you, when I look at you, I see something of God in you as well. I see the God in you, and that reveals something of God in you. And you know that to be true. The challenge is, oftentimes, when that mirror comes back at you, is what comes out is a thing. So when you do something to me, if I think sort of William is a French word, has anybody ever heard the word respect? You know, R-E-S-P-C-T. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. So, respect is actually a French word. And you know what it means? To look at the mirror. something that happens and you get offended by it. That ever happened to you? Okay. Well, we're at least we're all starting on the same page. Amber hasn't and so the rest of us have been there. So, when we are, but if we can agree, if we can look back at them and see the image of God in them, So rather than, so one thing can cause you to be offended, can cause you to be bored, somebody who's less offended can cause you to, to blow somebody off as a poor person or as a, uh, as a, uh, uh, this person, hit them in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, you know, bucket, right? They're just a this, a title, a label, a tag. Rather than looking back and seeing the nature of God. So if I can look back, oftentimes what can happen is, something in you that needs to change. But the really cool thing is what God is asking goes into the Holy Ghost. Even if I don't look back and see his nature in them, if I look one time and it happens, I'll get offended, I'll get frustrated, it can happen, I'll see an error in my living. But that thing that I see in them causes typically a negative response in me. So now I'm angry or bitter or hurt or offended. And guess what that's supposed to do? So they show the mirror of Christ to me. And I would venture to say that then when we look aghast, what actually happens is for me to get over my offense quickly, I have to forgive quickly, which is respect in action. I have to get past what I've seen or what they've done and look again see God in them because I don't see I really don't see that the people who created me are the same as they were before I was created 
say that many would just opt to stay in the uh, Constantine study if the present situation was better for them. But many people repent that they had an issue and they thought that coming to church would be just this idea that they don't need to leave their regular life and that they don't need to leave their family. That is not the case. Rather, they need to be about Jesus and Sunday morning and family he then goes on to say, okay, what is sacred? I love this idea. What do we what about? What's going to say what's not? He finally gets to the meat of the matter, right? Which is try to steward the meat of the matter. So here we come to Pentecost. That is what today celebrates. Now, for most of us, we have grown up with the background of Pentecostalism. We maybe even sat in church. I didn't know there was still Pentecostalism. So the year that Paul had heard about it was the largest growing phenomenon Thank you. 
people. So Simon the Tanner group, the feet drops down, you know the story. The, uh, the, the animals with her killing each Peter says, no, Lord, you said I can't do that. Peter quotes God to God. He's correcting God as he slips through the wheel. You said we could do that. You said they're out. And God says, can any man condemn that child of God? So then he has this experience with fish. We know the point here is going to happen. But guess what? Did it fit? Nope. Ten shallow fishes. The Ethiopian eunuch is on the side of the road. Philip the evangelist is walking. Philip uh, baptizes the eunuch, takes him to the church. It's still, 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 still years later, and Peter regresses again. I don't want to disappoint my friend. A third time he regresses because Paul in Galatians calls him out again for going back to the fact that now you don't have to be a Jew to do that. You can open a Bible. They're still fighting within Peter's day. In fact, I would like to suggest to you that Paul is praying this message that would have been radically, radically, radically offensive to Peter. And what's interesting is he gives his life to saving this so-called reform people, which they end Paul's greatest theological breakthrough, that in the inclusion of all people would lead to a saving life. what he's discussing. That is probably one of, if not the radical breakthrough ever been made. Why? Because nobody believed that. The Jewish people believed they had to build a temple. They had to do uh, Hinduism. They had to build a temple. And uh, as Christians, guess what? It, it all was is you had to go to the temple. When Paul says, you are all the temple, what he's saying is, there are Hindus and Christians and Americans and covered by books from the beginning. The hope for Paul's church is the inclusion of the Holy Spirit in them. I I don't know where they got the idea for Paul's church. So what Paul does, it would have been Yet somehow he took that radical statement and turned it into something that we're oral purity code about our bodies today. Paul's statement of inclusion from birth is something that we turn into a statement about not drinking alcohol or drinking drugs or drinking coffee. Or getting tattooed. Or being you're talking about that this idea of what it means you hear this huge statement that no one in the no one on the planet had even conceived of yet you know what if i didn't believe the whole i mean i'm not a christian so i don't know but if i didn't believe the 
full Bible would be right, that verse would be incorrect. Because only God can speak like that. There's no way that a human being could fathom that profoundly unrelated impossibility of being God. And yet we stumbled into debating about what it means to speak
Jesus has disagreed with him for many years, Jesus has been presented as much more of a substitute than a person. You had to subscribe to be part of it. He's not the prescription. He's the prescription. He's the fix. He's the healer. He is the thing that heals the humanity. He's not the thing. You can't. You can't choose to belong and then break out and say yes. There is no prayer that has the ability to to carry you and have the strength to get you with it. Jesus wants us to free ourselves. God favors the fully upright, not the very upright. And it's meant to be the end of tribal ethnic rebellion, which is that does not mean that I'm stopping with Jesus talking to the Jews. That's about as clear as I can get. That doesn't mean we should not be united. That absolutely is a gift of itself. I love Jesus. I need Jesus too. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't talk to people about Jesus. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't be open about my faith. It doesn't mean that I should be ashamed of the sign or the moniker Christ Jesus Christian. But it does mean that I am no longer, that you mean that I no longer have to feel guilt, shame, or obligation to convert everyone and pretend like I don't. I am relieved, uh, it means that I no longer have to feel an obligation to convert everyone that I meet and make sure that they believe like I do or relegate them to everlasting torment. I do not need to fake Jesus. It's in, in being accepted of other people does not mean that I walk away from what I am. I can be completely and completely and wholeheartedly sold out to my love for Jesus and to my belief as a Christian and not have to say that it's going to it's gonna burn in hell. Because that's not what Jesus likes. That's not who Christ is. He's not like that. So what do you do for a traditional Christian now? You don't need to pursue your Christianity. You don't talk to people about Jesus.
foundation is the safest possible concept that I have about Israel or the, the heaven. The church is something that's focused on a consciousness of bishop responsibility, but it is a technicality of how we're thinking about it.
Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.